Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. It was a very difficult time in Israel's history. The Midianites were oppressing them and oppressing them severely. For seven years, they had suffered at the hands of the Midianites. When they would plant their crops and when harvest time would come, the Midianites would come into Israel and they would spread like locusts and they would harvest the crops that Israel had planted. They would not only harvest the crops, but they would take the sheep and the oxen and the camels that the Israelites had. Also, the Israelites had become such a fearful people, they were living in the dens and caves in the mountains. Seven years this had gone on, and Gideon was so fearful that he had managed to get some wheat, and he was beating it out in a wine press, which was a depressed place, so he could hide away from the Midianites, hoping they would not see him and steal what little food he had. And the Lord came to Gideon. And he said, the Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. And Gideon said, if the Lord is with us, then why is all this happening to us? What about all the miracles we read about when God delivered our people from Israel? No, God's not with us. God has forsaken us. Do you ever feel God forsaken? Do you ever feel like when you're going through some of the things in life, you're thinking, God, where are you? You have forgotten about me. You're too busy dealing with the big issues in life. You have just let me fall through the cracks. God, you've dropped me. You you know where to be found. You have abandoned me. I feel all alone in this situation. God, you you couldn't be with me and, and me still be going through what I'm going through. You ever felt that way? Well, it's a common feeling that... I'm afraid God's people have had through the ages. But today we're going to be looking at a promise that God gives that if you will, through faith and patience and diligence, live this promise, you will never again ever feel God forsaken. And we're doing a series on living by the promises of God. The last time I preached to you, We talked about the promises of God and we saw that it is necessary for your spiritual maturity that you live by the promises of God. If you're going to grow spiritually, and what is spiritual growth but being like Christ, you need to live by the promises because Jesus lived by the promises of God. We also saw that God's promises are based on His person, on who He is. And the writer of Hebrews gave three particular aspects of God's person that we need to keep in mind when we talk about His promises. First, His greatness. If God wasn't great, then how would we know He could fulfill His promise? But because God is greater than all, we know when He makes a promise, He can fulfill it. Also, God's unchangeableness. I mean, God might be great and be able to to fulfill His promise, but what if He changed His mind and decided, well, I no longer want to fulfill that promise? So God must be unchangeable as well for us to know that once He's promised it, He's not going to change it. But then, 
His truthfulness must also come into play. Because God might be great enough to accomplish a promise. He might even be unchangeable in making the promise. But what if He lied to us? I was just lying. I'm not going to keep that promise. But because God cannot lie, we can count on His promises. Now, it requires three things from us as well if we're going to live by the promises. And we saw that, again, in Hebrews, last Hebrews chapter 6, last time we were speaking of the promises. It requires diligence from us. And we said this word diligence means to give it your best effort. I mean, you give it your best. You try as hard as you can. That means you've got to study the promises to understand them. Make sure they apply to you and not an old covenant promise that applied to Israel but not to you. And also there is faith involved in living by the promises. Believing what God said in spite of what these eyes might tell you differently. And then also there's patience. And that word means endurance. We continue to live by the promise waiting on God to do what He said He would do. We don't live by it one day and then God hadn't fulfilled it and we say, oh, well, God's not going to do it. Through diligence, faith, and patience. That brings us to our promise today found in the book of Hebrews chapter 13. Take your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 13. This is one of the most repeated promises in all of the Bible. Now that in itself tells me it's important. When God repeats something over and over and over and over again in Scripture, that shows me, first of all, we are pretty dense and we're not catching it. Secondly, how important it is. And we see that in this promise. Both Old Covenant and New Covenant believers have relied on this promise. Hebrews chapter 13, in respect for the Word of God, let me ask you to stand as I read verses 5 and 6. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? You may be seated. May God bless the reading and the hearing and most of all, the obeying of His Word. First, let's understand what God is saying here. Let's use our diligence to make every effort to understand this promise. In verse 5, For He Himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. There is much more to this promise than what the English translation tells us. When we go back to the Greek of the New Testament, we see that there's a lot more going on in this promise than just what you're, you have seen. First, it is an intensive promise. It doesn't just say, He has said, but it says, He Himself has said. God Himself has said. The writer is stressing that it is none other than our God, Yahweh, who is making this promise. The second thing we notice is that there are five negatives in this promise. Now, in English, it is not considered proper grammar 
to put two negatives in a sentence. You would say, you would not say, I ain't never. Say, that's two negatives. Uh, I don't never. You would not say that. You'd say, I don't ever. But in the Hebrew, when they wanted to really emphasize something, they would pile on the negatives. Like there are five negatives in this promise. There are two negatives in the first part. When he says, I will not, I will not desert you. Repeats it twice. In the second part, there are three negatives. I will not, I will not, I will not abandon you, desert you. I will not, no, never abandon you. I will not, no, never desert you. So God compounds these negatives to make sure we really know He means what He's saying. Also, these verbs, forsake and desert, have rich meaning. First he says, I will not, I will not desert you. Now that word desert means to send back, or to relax, or to loosen, or not to uphold, to let sink, or to abandon, or to neglect. It literally means to loosen, to let go, or to drop. The same verb is used when Paul is in the jail in Philippi, and you remember they were singing praises to God at night, and God sent an earthquake, and it says the chains on all the prisoners' arms fell loose, dropped off. That's a word. God says, I'll never drop you. I'll never let you fall off. I will never, ever desert you. I will not, I will not drop you or abandon you. You ever feel like God's dropped you? God's not going to go to the, the great effort to save you only to drop you. He's not going to do it. Next part of the promise is the word forsake. I will not, I will not, I will not forsake you. Now this means the idea of forsaking someone who's in trouble. It suggests rejection, defeat, helplessness, and refers to some place or circumstance in which a person finds himself helpless and forsaken. The meaning of the word is that we would forsake somebody who is in a state of helplessness, who is in a lurch, and we turn away and leave them in that lurch. Now, the three negatives before this word make this promise of triple assurance. God says, I will not, I will not, I will not ever leave you in a lurch. I will never, not ever leave you in a helpless situation. I won't do it. You're driving down the road one day, and you notice this car has run off the road and has gone into the lake, and... The person in the car has gotten out, but they're drowning. Now you have a rope in the back of your car that you know you could throw out to them and pull them to safety. But instead, you just get back in your car, start it up, and drive off and leave them there to drown. Now none of us would do that. None of us. Now if we being sinful people would not do that, how much 
more will God not ever abandon His children and leave them in a lurch. He won't do it. You're there with your child or grandchild three or four years old and you're on vacation and you're there around the pool and you say to them, now be careful. Well, they aren't careful and they fall in the pool and they sink and you see them sinking. Now you're not going to just say, well, too bad and get up and go walk into the room. Oh no, you would, you would never do that. Now, again, if we being sinful people would never abandon our child or grandchild in that kind of situation... How much more can you know that God, who loves His children infinitely, would never, no, never leave us in a hard situation without being with us to help us? Basically, He's saying, I will not, I will not, I will not let you down, leave you in a lurch, leave you destitute, leave you in straits and helpless and abandon you. I won't do it. And all this simply means is that God will always be with us in every circumstance in life and He will be there to help us. Now let's look at the promise, put it all together. Here it goes. He, for He God Himself has said, I will not in any way fail you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you helpless, or forsake, nor let you down, relax my hold on you, assuredly not. That's the promise that God makes to every one of us, who is a Christian. He's saying there's no circumstance in heaven, on earth, or beneath the earth that could happen that I would abandon you and leave you to suffer on your own and not help you. There's no circumstance, no situation that you can get yourself into or other people can do to you that I will not be there with you to help you in that situation. That's God's promise. To us as His children. He will always be with us to help us. Alright, having seen the promise, now let's look at living by the promise. The faith aspect. And we go back to our verse. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For He Himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I'll not be afraid. What will man do to me? There are two things that this verse promises you and I, if we will, by faith, live it. First, contentment. Next, peace. He says, make sure your character is free from the love of money being content with what you have, for He Himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. God is saying that contentment is closely tied to our faith in His presence with us. The opposite of contentment is loving money. 
We're told that our life, our character, is to be free from the love of money. Not free from money, but free from the love of money. Nothing wrong with money. It's the love of money that is the root of all sorts of evil. It's the love of money that causes the problems. You see, if we love money, we will never be content. Paul warns Timothy about the danger of loving money in 1 Timothy 6. He says, but those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierce themselves with many griefs. The person who loves money will never experience contentment. When John D. Rockefeller was a young man, one of his friends reportedly said to him, how much money do you want to make? And he said, I want to make a million dollars. Some years later, this friend came to him a second time, after he had made a million dollars, and he said, how much money do you want to make now? He said, another million dollars. It's amazing how many millionaires and billionaires want more. You think, man, why would they want more? They can't spend all they have. God says the cure for the love of money, the cure for covetousness, the key to contentment, is to live by the promise of His presence. Look at what he says. Let your character be free from the love of money, being content with what you have for. For He Himself has said. You see that for? In the Greek, as in the English, it gives the reason for what comes before it. Don't love money. Be content with what you have because for God's promise, He'll be with you. Our contentment must come from our love relationship with God. Why is it we love money? Have you ever thought about that? Now, we don't actually just love that piece of paper with those pictures on them. We don't love our presidents that much. We love what it will do for us. We think it will buy us happiness. See, we think if I can get enough stuff, I'll be happy. If I can get enough things, if I can get enough man toys, then I'll be happy. If I can get a big enough house, I'll be happy. If I can get a nice enough car, I'll be happy. If I can have nice clothes, I'll be happy happy. If I can go on great vacations, go around the world, then I will be happy. We think that we can buy happiness. But the truth is, we cannot. Some of the most miserable people in the world are some of the richest people in the world. Now, you and I who don't have boatloads of money, We secretly think if we did have boatloads of money, we'd be happy. But God says, no, that is not the key to happiness. 
We love money because we not only think it can bring us happiness, but we think it can bring us security. Man, if I just had a couple of million dollars, I wouldn't worry about anything. You ever thought that? Man, if I was set up like he was set up, I wouldn't worry about anything. We think it can buy security, but let me tell you, it's only a false security. A billionaire's money will not buy him one more day of life. Billionaires die of cancer just like the homeless man dies of cancer. When he goes into the doctor and the doctor says, I hate to tell you, but you have pancreatic cancer. And you only have six weeks to live. All of his billions of dollars are not going to buy him one more day. It's false security. There's no security in money. Our contentment, our security cannot be found in our circumstances. Things that are outside of us, they are constantly changing. Your true sense of contentment, your true sense of security can only be found inwardly And that is only in relationship to God who says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Therefore, we can be content. So the first reality of this promise is that we can have contentment when we live by it. Secondly, we can have peace. He goes on to say, so that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I'll not be afraid. What will man do to me? He says, when your world is falling apart, you can have peace by claiming the promise of God's presence. In Psalm 46, he says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth should change, though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, Though its waters roar and foam. Though the mountains quake with its swelling pride. Though the world is falling apart. Though there are earthquakes. And we had one. We had one 4.1 of the night. And it happened in South Carolina. People in Paulding County felt it. We can have earthquakes here. Amen. Though the world is falling apart. Though everything seems to be crumbling, though the mountains are falling into the sea, he says, we are not going to be afraid. Why? Because the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. So no matter what's happening in your life, you may look around and think, man, it's falling to pieces. You can have peace when you really believe that God is with you and he will help you in that situation. Not only that, But when you're facing troubles and problems that are so great, they just overwhelm you. You feel overwhelmed. Let me tell you, God's presence can carry you through that. You can have peace in that midst. In Deuteronomy chapter 20, the nation of Israel is preparing to go into the promised land. And God gives them these words. He says, when you go out to battle against your enemies and see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, in other words, you're facing an overwhelming situation. What does he say? Do not be afraid of them. Why? For the Lord your God, who brought you up from the land of Egypt, is with 
you. When you're approaching the battle, a priest shall come near and speak to the people. He shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, you are approaching the battle against your enemy today. Do not be faint-hearted. Do not be afraid or panic or tremble before them. Why? For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against the enemies, to save you. When you're going through a situation that just overwhelms you, you need to stop and first realize, hey, I'm not in this alone. My God is with me. Look back on how He has brought you through other very difficult situations. He said, He's the one that brought you out of Egypt. Look back. Look back at His past faithfulness and believe He is faithful today and He will not only be with me, but He will help me through this situation. I am not going through it alone. Also, not only when you're facing overwhelming odds, not only when you believe that things are falling apart, but when you, even in the face of death, you can have peace, knowing God's with you. Do you believe that? The psalmist, David, he knew what it was to fear for his life. The most powerful man in the land, King Saul, had a contract out on him. He was out to kill him. All the resources of the king were devoted toward killing David, finding him, killing him. Anybody who killed David was a friend of the king. So David knew what it was to live with his life on the line, to fear for life. What does he say in Psalm 23? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though death is knocking on the door, I will not be afraid. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. When we face one of the worst enemies, life has death. We don't have to be afraid. Because God is with us. He will be there with us. He will help us as we go through it. I've known Christians who have faced death with peace because they knew God was with them. I have been at the bedside of more than one or two people as they were dying. And I've seen them die with peace. Not fear, but peace. Because they knew, they knew that God was with them. And He was going to stay with them. So you can have peace not only in the midst of death, but there is no situation in life that you can go through that you cannot have the peace of God if you will believe that He is with you to help you. He says, The Lord is my helper. What can man do to me? (laughs) Well, what can He do to you? He can torture you. Let's face it, he can maim you. He can kill you. A man can do something to you. Well, what does he mean then when he says, I'm not going to be afraid because the Lord is my helper. What can man do to me? Well, what he means is, man can do nothing to you that will separate you from God's love, first of all. Secondly, man can do nothing to you that will be outside of God's plan for your life. Can't do it. 
Nothing can happen to you that's outside the sovereign will of God. Paul talks about this in Romans 8. He says, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? I mean, he's covered about every situation. Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are being considered as sheep to be slaughtered. That's not a good thing, folks. They are being killed. They are being slaughtered because of their faith in God. And yet, even in the midst of that, Paul says, you are not separated from the love of God. He says, but in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. For I am convinced. Now, you try to find something in human experience that Paul doesn't cover in these next words. And I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing. In case he missed something, he said, or any other created thing shall be able to do what? To separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. There is no circumstance you can go through in life that will separate you as a child of God from His love. And you can overwhelmingly conquer in that situation. As you believe God is with you, that He will not leave you nor forsake you, but He will help you in that situation. Now let's put it into very practical terms. Preacher, how do I, when I'm facing a situation like this, how do I claim this promise? This is where the patience and perseverance comes in. Turn over to 1 Samuel 17. We're going to look at David against Goliath. Now, I'd call that an overwhelming situation, wouldn't you? I'd call that a life and death situation, wouldn't you? I mean, basically, Goliath told him he was going to pull him apart and feed him to the birds. I call that a pretty hard situation. So here we have David. Facing, here David, a shepherd boy, not a soldier, a shepherd boy, probably 12 or 13 years of age. All the mighty men of Israel were afraid to go up against Goliath, this giant. Here a shepherd boy of 12, 13 or 14 years of age was willing to do something that all the mighty warriors were not willing to do. What was the difference? What was the difference? The difference was David understood the promise of God would be with him to help him. All the other warriors of Israel didn't really understand this truth and believe it. All right, let's look. How do you practically live out this promise in the situation you find yourself? Number one, Acknowledge God's promise to be with you to help you. David was talking to Saul about going out against Goliath. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, He will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to him, Go, and may the Lord be with you. You see, David went back and he said, God is with me. 
God will be with me as He has been with me in the past. He confessed this to Saul. You need to verbally say, when you're in that situation, God is with me. Lord, I know you are with me in this situation. No matter how it may look, it may look like you have forsaken me, but you have not. I believe you are with me and you will help me. And then tell somebody else. Tell your friend, tell your wife, tell your co-worker. You know, things are tough, but God's with me in this. Confess that truth. Next, remember God's help in the past. Look at what David says. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. Think back over God's faithfulness to help you in the past through hard situations. David remembered when the bear came and the lion came and and God enabled him to defeat those when he was tending the sheep. And he pulls back on this to say, God was with me then. He's going to be with me now. Those were impossible situations then. He's going to be with me in this impossible situation now. Thirdly, set your eyes on God and not your problem. Those other warriors in Israel were setting their eyes on Goliath. David was setting his eyes on God. See the difference? Verses 45 and 46. David said to the Philistine, to Goliath, You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. David said, the Lord, the Lord is going to deliver you into my hands. He acknowledged that God was the one who would bring the help he needed. His eyes were not on Goliath, but they were on God. Also, number four, seek God's glory above all. Verses 46 and 47, he says that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear. For the battle is the Lord's. And He will give you into our hands. Say, Lord, I'm seeking your glory in this situation more than my comfort. Say, we want to get out of the hardship. We want to get out of the difficulty more than we want God's glory. You realize sometimes, most of the time, God is more glorified by you living in the hardship, in the difficulty, looking to Him, trusting Him, honoring Him, than He is if He delivered you from the difficulty. So say, Lord, Your glory, I want more than I want anything. David said that all the nations will know that there's a God in Israel. That's why I want to see Goliath defeated. So that all will know There is a God in Israel. God, I desire your glory above everything else in my situation. Whatever. Whatever will bring you the most glory, God, that's what I want. 
I'm not going to say what you are to do in this situation because you know better than I do. I just want you to be glorified. Whatever will bring you the most glory. And then act on the promise of God's presence. Then it happened when the Philistine rose and came and drew near to meet David. Look what David did. That David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. He was excited about this battle. He, he wasn't timid. He, he ran toward the Philistine. I imagine that got old Goliath a little bit upset. What's this guy doing coming toward me? And David put his hand into this bag and he took from it a stone and he slung it. That was in faith. And he struck the Philistine on his forehead and the stone sank into his forehead so that he fell on his face to the ground. David acted on the promise of God's presence to be with him to help him. Faith is always active. Acting on God's promise to be with you and to help you. Ask God for the wisdom. God, show me how to act in faith on this promise that you're with me. Sometimes we're in situations and we don't really know how God would want us to act. Ask Him for wisdom to show you how to live in faith in that situation. Ask Him for the grace to live to His glory in that situation. Say, Lord, give me the grace I need. I don't know how to do it, but show me and then give me the strength to do it. And then persevere. Keep on acting in faith, believing God is with you and He will help you until you see the results. Don't quit after one day. Don't quit after one week. Don't quit after one month. Don't quit after a year. You keep on believing God, trusting God. He is with you. He will help you. And in His time, you will see the answer. Here we have God's promise to be with us. For He, God Himself, has said, I will not in any way fail you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you helpless, nor forsake you, nor let you down, or relax my hold on you. Assuredly not. So that we take comfort and are encouraged and confidently and boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I'll not be seized with alarm. I'll not fear or dread or be terrified. What can man do to me? Now when you need this promise, it's not when everything's going great. When you need this promise is when everything's going bad. And the old devil whispers in your ear, God's forgotten you. God's let you down. God has abandoned you. God doesn't care about you. You say, devil, I reject your lie. And I choose to believe the promise of my God. That he is with me. And not only is he with me, but he will help me in this situation. Will you live by this promise? Let's pray. We do welcome you, and I'm glad that you have taken the opportunity to listen to a sermon on our internet. And I want you just to know that uh, everybody in the church is not like me. 
Uh, I have these fellows up here, our leadership team. Uh, this is Filiberto Medina, who is our Hispanic pastor. And our Hispanic congregation meets every Sunday evening at 6.30. This is Paul Kumar. He is our Minister of Community Connections. Uh, and to my left is Mark Baker, who heads up our Reformers Unanimous Ministry, which is a Christian addiction recovery program that meets every Friday night at 7 o'clock. So if you live in the Mableton area, uh, and it doesn't matter what race you're from, it doesn't matter your cultural background, I want you to know you are welcome at Westside Church. This is where everybody is somebody and Jesus is Lord. Hope you'll join us soon. Thank you for being with us for this message. Each week, Dr. Stewart gives practical applications and ways to live out the Word of God. If you would like more information, please take a moment to view our website at wbcfamily.org. That's wbcfamily.org. Org.